Amen. Guys, take a seat. If you were a little frigid, we got that addressed. If anybody was cold, we, we made a request to raise the temp just a little bit. So I didn't see anybody shiver yet, but I was waiting for it. Neil, of course, Neil's going to be cold. He's just, he's always cold. But anyway, that's not true. It's just, he's easy to pick on. Um, we are, uh, man, we're glad to be here today. It's been, I don't know for you guys, like it was a long week. I think yesterday was an interesting Saturday, at least for our family. Like we pulled a toilet, we pulled bushes, we pulled shrubs, did a lot of pulling. And I feel like that, you know, just kind of sums up the whole week. It's just been a week of that kind of stuff. Uh, but today, hopefully, we get to, to rest. And so we're super glad you're here. Uh, we are uh, still in the book of Mark today. We're in chapter 10. We're going to close out chapter 10 and just a few more chapters to go. We are about, you know, 56 weeks into this series, and that's okay. Like I said, when we started, we're going to finish it when we're done. And uh, I don't know, I've enjoyed it. So today, I'll tell you, like, this is probably one of, it's, it's like the last passage that we see of physical healing in the book of Mark, at least chronologically. And, and like we talked about last week, he's marching to Jerusalem. And he was kind of out in front of the pack last week, like he was leading the way. He was, he was going after it. And today we kind of see this almost a side of like the heaviness of what's coming and what we've seen the past few weeks. And today it's just, man, it's like a, a perfect VBS story. Like I don't know if you, any of you went to vacation Bible school growing up, but like, I, you know, I grew up in, in kind of one of the BOBCs, one of the big old Baptist churches. And so we had vacation Bible school, like we've talked about, we had the final lithographs where you'd stick it on there and you'd, you'd walk home with lots of sheets of paper that were brightfully colored with crayons and that kind of stuff, but this is one of those stories, and it's a good one, and, and it's also like there's some great physical things, there's some great confessional things, um, and it's one of those stories where it would be easy to pull out like 26 points of application, but don't worry, we're not, we're not going to pull out 26 points of application, but the beauty of this story too is it's, it kind of can go as deep as you want it to go. Uh, because, again, where it sits is right on the tail end of Jesus doing some very heavy teaching, and, and he's on the way to Jerusalem, like he is marching to the cross right now, like he is uh, walking in purpose uh, to go to the cross, to hang, to die, to bleed, to suffocate on my behalf, on your behalf, for those who will believe. And so there's some innate heaviness in that particular place, uh, but in this part right here too, it's just, uh, it's just a beautiful physical illustration of, of what it means to just cry out to Jesus, see him move, and then see us respond. And so, like I said, there could be tons of, of beautiful, like, low-hanging fruit application, and we'll mention a few of those, but, but there's just kind of one place where I want us to land today. And so, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read through this text and see what it says today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us so very much. Uh, we thank you for Jesus and in the fact that uh, we have a Savior uh, who does promise us rest. Rest from our weariness of trying to earn uh, our, the right to be known by you. Rest from the weariness of trying to earn uh, the right to be heard by you. But God, you, you look at Jesus and you say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Believe in him. Put your life in him and you can find that rest that you so desperately need. God, I thank you for that Jesus today. I thank you for uh, you being a father that loves us enough uh, to accept us as we are, but not to leave us that way. Um, and God, I thank you for your word uh, that you use to change us, to make us look more like Christ, and to grow us into the church that you desire us to be. Thank you so much uh, for being who you are. Thank you for calling us as we are and making us into more. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And so it says, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabbi or teacher, master, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Such a neat, just kind of simple aside kind of a story. Um, because like I said, if you've been with us the past six weeks, then there's been, like there has been, it's been deep, like it's been heavy, like there's been cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, cut your foot off. Again, hyperbolic, not literal, but talking about how we deal with sin. There's been a, a huge teaching on divorce, which I hope we handled well, and there's just been some, some ideas about what it means to be first, what it means to, to serve, what it even means to be a slave to all, which Jesus actually said we need to be like this. And then today, today we just... We just have a blind man sitting on the side of the road, and Jesus happens to walk by. And so, like I said, they're marching on their way to Jerusalem, and, and in order to do so, where they were coming from, they had to pass through Jericho. Jericho was northeast, maybe 10, 12, 15 miles away. And so it says that they walked into Jericho, walked out, and it says there was a large crowd and the disciples with them. So a couple things we want to note. Busy road. Like, this guy wouldn't have been sitting there if it wasn't a busy road. It was probably the road leading out of Jericho. And so you had, you had the twelve. Those dull 12, which we talked about last week, and we're not being disrespectful to call them dull. They weren't the sharpest tacks in the box yet, okay? Jesus was making them so, but even though we looked at, just the way that we looked at them last week, they were still missing some things, and that's okay. That's okay. We're all dull from time to time. And so we've got the 12 disciples. Then we probably have some of the religious elite. We've got some Pharisees probably mixed in there, some scribes, and then we just have some looky-loos, some people that have been following Jesus for a little while. They were disciples in the most general sense of the word, and they were following to see what he would do next. Next. But then you also just kind of had travelers. I mean, because this is a busy road. This is the way people got around, and you had travelers. And so in, amongst this crowd, you had a full, like to use this word loose, like a swath of people. I don't know if we use that a whole lot in our modern vernacular, but we had a broad swath of people, just, you know, a huge representation of any type of person you could imagine. And so they're walking that way with his 12, plus the others, plus the others, plus the others. It was a crowd. And then we find this guy, Bartimaeus. Son of Timaeus, which is what Bar Timaeus means. Actually, like Bar is son of, like Simon Bar Jonah, Simon son of John, like Bar Timaeus is son of Timaeus. And so, really interesting that he's even named at all. Like, it's a bit of an oddity that he's named at all. You look at Matthew's account, you look at Luke's account, he's not named. In Matthew's account, this guy, there was supposedly another dude with him. So, there were a couple of blind beggars there. Uh, Luke is just a blind man. But either way, it's interesting that Mark names him. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. No, no, no concrete proof, but just a hunch. But either way, he, he had a name. And it said that Bartimaeus was sitting by the road, blind beggar, and he was just begging. A couple things that we can probably note about this guy right off the bat. Um, he probably didn't have a family, or he was estranged from family. Because back during that time, family was kind of a big deal. You know, you didn't have extended stuff. But if you had someone in your family that was disabled or could not make ends meet for themselves, your family would, would take care of them. And it's the same, you know, the same is true for us. Like if you've got family and you have someone that, that cannot do life for themselves, most of the time, any average Joe or Jill family is going to take care of that individual. You know, they're going to have them in. But this particular guy, this Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sitting on the roadside begging, we can assume because he's there, because this is the way that he's gaining money, has a couple nickels to rub together that someone's dropping in his cup, he probably had no one. 
having no one, he probably also didn't have any status. He, he obviously didn't have any money. He didn't have a livelihood. He didn't have any of those types of things. And so he's sitting beside a busy roadside, and he's just he's blind, and he's asking people, can you spare some change? Can I have some money? We, we see this every day. You know, probably already, like if you already go ahead and take him and be like, oh, well, he's a homeless guy. Maybe he was, and maybe you have very specific feelings about homeless people, and you, you love them, you, you don't understand, you have strong opinions either way. Maybe you're already thinking that, but let's, let's put those aside and just think, this is what we know about this guy. Probably didn't have family, probably didn't have means, probably didn't have status, probably didn't have anything, and so all he could do, this is what he could do. He could sit by the road, and he could ask for people to help him. That's who he was. And so he's just sitting there, and it says that he had heard something. He heard that someone specific was coming by, and it says he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by. He heard that this carpenter's son, this guy from podunk nowhere, who had done miraculous things, who had said authoritative things, uh, who had chased demons away, who had sent them packing, who had done all of this stuff, he had just heard that he was coming by. That's, that's all he knew. Doesn't look like that he had ever seen Jesus, and that's not a pun. I mean, it's literal. He had not. He had never met him. He had never uh, had an encounter with him. He just heard that he was coming by, like, and, and, and it caused a response in him. It caused this, this really, really interesting response. So crowd, disciples, other people mixed in there, and Jesus of Nazareth walking down this road outside of Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sitting on the roadside begging, and he hears that Jesus is coming by. And so what does he do? He he just starts to shout out. He's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, from our seat, like we hear that and we're like, yeah, that's not so, that's not so weird. It's pretty weird. Pretty weird. You're like, well, well, Joe, why is it weird? Well, my name's not Joe. We've talked about that before. Um, but this is why it's weird. People didn't call Jesus that, really. We've got about six times, six times in, in the Gospels, in the synoptics in which that happens. Maybe one time previous, and it did happen to be another blind guy in Matthew, um, but, you know, not, not a whole lot of times that this would happen. And Jesus is actually going to address it with the Pharisees in a couple chapters from now. Um, but that kind of phrasing is originating from, uh, from Samuel in which Nathan is talking to David and he's promising David, like, look, uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's the Davidic covenant. And uh, from you, from your line, your heritage, um, the Messiah is going to come. From you, he's going to come. The deliverer, the Christ, as we've talked about, like, He's going to come from your line. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, we go through a whole genealogy showing that how Jesus, adoptively speaking from Joseph, is from the line of David. But then we actually go and we read in Luke, and, and it says from Joseph, but it's actually speaking about Mary, because Mary would have never been mentioned, and it actually shows that from the line of Mary, all the way back to David, Jesus came from the line of David. So adoptively from his father, and then completely from his mother, he did. He came from the line of David, and it was promised way, way back, way back. We're not going to go into huge detail about that, but just we'll, we'll talk about it in a couple weeks, so I don't want to let that cat out of the bag. But either way, like, it's just odd that a blind man sitting on the side of the road would say, son of David. Not, not Jesus, not the Christ. I mean, Peter even struggled with that at this point, um, but he did it, but he was like, son of David. And then he asked for something, he asked for something weird, too, like, not just calling him son of David, a messianic title, not just doing that from Old Testament that was not really obscure, but it just wasn't spoken yet because people weren't recognizing it. Uh, but then he asked for mercy. Now, this wouldn't have been completely uncommon. Like, I think a lot of times when people beg, they're just like, hey, can you, can you spare a quarter? Can you spare a dollar? Can you just, you know, show some mercy towards me? But like the literal biblical idea of mercy is don't give me what I deserve. That's what he was asking for. 
He, he said, son of David, messianic title, give me something but not what I deserve. I love the irony that's already sitting like squarely on this passage. And we wouldn't pick this up in VBS with the lithograph because we probably wouldn't talk about irony. Um, but the irony that amongst this crowd of 12 who've been following him more than religiously but relationally, and then you have the Pharisees who are likely mixed in there because they're trying to find a reason to sacrifice him and kill him. And some of them may be genuinely curious. And then you have the looky-loos who've been watching, who've been eating his bread, who've been doing all of this kind of stuff. And, and the one that sees who Jesus is, wait for the irony, is the blind guy. I love it. Like, I love that the Bible just offers such richness like this. Like, it's more than just how then should we live and who should we know and who should we pursue. But it also offers just these little bitty moments of just, hmm, that's neat. Anyway, that's me. Maybe that's not you, but that's me. So he begins to cry out. He says, Jesus, uh, son of David, Jesus from Nazareth is here. Uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. Verse 48, it says, many rebuked him. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. We'll stop right there. So amongst this crowd, again, really interesting. Irony continues. Like, again, Jesus had just had a conversation with the 12, right? We don't know what they're saying here. We know what they're not saying, okay? But we don't know exactly what they're saying. But Jesus had just had a conversation. He was like, look, if you want to be first, he's already said this a couple times, you need to be last. Or if you want to be, if you want to be first, if you want to be, like, uh, not just popular but important, um, you need to serve, if, if you want to lead, then you need to be a slave to all. And yet, in this crowd, the, the least of these, this blind beggar who has no authority, who has no position, who has no money, no family, he understands more of why Jesus is here than all of those people. Because if they understood for a moment, they wouldn't have shushed him because what they did is he's crying out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He's asking for something supernatural at this point, to be honest. And they're like, shh, you need to be quiet, blind man. Jesus doesn't have time for you. This is Jesus. You know, he's kind of kind of weird, kind of odd, doing some stuff he shouldn't be able to do. We don't exactly know, but we know he doesn't have time for you. And we're like, shh. Again, the irony, even though he's asking it for himself, he's asking the exact right questions. And everybody else, they're just like, no, no, no. Ain't nobody got time for that. Shush. Really, I mean, just, I love this passage. It says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. So what he did is he clammed up, didn't say anything else. It's not exactly what he did. What he did is he just got louder. <laughs> he just got, he got louder. It says, he began to shout out all the more. And so he just began to get louder. He's still sitting. He's probably sitting on a mat. He's got a cloak around him, which we'll reference in just a minute, maybe a cup. But he just, he just gets louder. So people say, shh, no, Jesus don't want to hear from you. So he's just, Jesus, Nazareth, mercy, that's what I want. He just gets loud, gets kind of indignant. Man, I love the next three words. Next three words, verse 49, it says, and Jesus stopped. Whew. That's glory bumps on the back of my neck, like back here. The mic's in the way, and so I don't need to mess with that. But either way, like, and Jesus stopped. Like, it's very much like an Ephesians deal of, like, but God kind of a thing. Uh, but either way, if you know the Bible, you might know what I'm picking up on. If not, don't worry about it. But either way, I'm going to speak fast, and you're going to hang on to every word. But, and Jesus stopped. Like, just right there. Why do I love that? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Just hopefully I'll come back to it. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. Call him. Big crowd. Jesus probably couldn't look directly at Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus couldn't look directly at Jesus. They couldn't even lock eyes at this point. Remember, he's sitting on the ground, a ton of people, and just they, they can't do that. And so Jesus just says, call him. Tell him to come to me. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Such a nice switch, too. You know, from just a minute ago, shh, stop it, be quiet. To take heart, be of good cheer, smile, he's calling you. I love the fickle crowd. Man, it's also embarrassing because that's probably us, too. Anyway, so it, it, the, the crowd completely changes, and they're like, Hey, take heart, get up, he's calling you. In verse 50, it says, Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Like he jumped up, bam, like shot out of a cannon, goes to Jesus. And then a really neat question in verse 51. Like this one too, like we could approach this from a VBS level and we're going to read it like a VBS level, but I want us to really think about it. Uh, Jesus just said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Man, have you ever sat in a place and just thought about the existence of Christ? Like the fact that, that he left a place in which he had angels singing to him, holy, 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 all the live long day. He was in a place of reverence, in a place of adoration, in a place of exaltation. He had all the things that deity should have. And he left that, choosing to come here, put on flesh, walk amongst us, be hungry like us, be tired like us, be tempted beyond us, and endure. And do we ever sit back and think, that Jesus has made an invitation to me, to you, through the cross and through his words, his life, his death, his resurrection, and ask a very similar question of what do you want me to do for you? That blows my mind. That's not right. <laughs> it's not right that that Jesus would extend that type of request to me. Because I know me. I don't deserve that type of invitation so to speak. I don't, and I know it. Like the older I get, the longer I live here, the more I breathe, the more I realize I, I don't deserve for Jesus to, to extend this and say, what do you want me to do for you? Like, I, I don't deserve that. And I can be honest, you don't either. None of you. You're like, well, you don't know me. No, I don't know you, but I know enough. Sorry, I'm not here to talk about you. So Jesus just looks at him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man just, he says, Rabbi, teacher, master, I'd just like to see again. I'd like to recover my sight. Pretty good, pretty good request, right? Blind man. But it all goes back to this idea that he wouldn't have asked Jesus unless something in him told him that Jesus could do it. The question would have never been asked by Jesus, what do you want me to do for you, unless this man would have actually believed that Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. There was something about him that he had heard about, things that more than just piqued his interest, but like pricked his heart and been like, that's the, that's the one. That's the guy. That's the, that's the one we've been waiting for. So he said, Rabbi, teacher, master. It's interesting that he calls him rabbi and teacher too because he's never met him. You know, a lot of times you would call rabbi generally, like if someone was in that occupation, but Jesus was a little bit different. You know, Jesus was in the occupation of rabbi, but most people, they wouldn't have called him that because they weren't under his tutelage, weren't following him foot by foot, step by step kind of a thing. But, but man, it is. The irony just continues that of all the people in the crowd, it's the blind beggar who had nothing that knew the most. But anyway, he said, I just, I'd like to recover my sight. 
And in verse 52, we'll read the first half, and it says, And Jesus said to him, Well, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Man, so neat. And we'll talk about the rest of that in just a minute. But what an, ex- like, just like this simple, beautiful, conversational, faith ridden, mind boggling exchange between a blind beggar who shouldn't have anything, didn't have anything, but he had enough understanding to know that if someone could fix the problem that he had, it was this Jesus. Just, just from hearing things that had happened, just from getting stories. Again, this, this particular passage, like the, the level of application is, is long. I think we could start really, really surface level um, and say things like, uh, we go back to the fact that when people shushed him, like, instead of getting quiet, he just got louder. And I think we could say something, and this would be true. Now, it's cheesy, but it, we're, we're saying it for cheesy's sake. Don't let anyone quiet your enthusiasm for Jesus. It's real. Like, if you, if you know Jesus, like, don't let anybody shush you. That's okay. That's, that's realistic, right? You know? We got some people that are like, yeah, 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 I'm just going to be louder. That's okay. That's good application. That's, that's good. Maybe something like uh, maybe a Hebrews 11 kind of a reference. We don't need to see Jesus to believe in Jesus. Maybe, maybe something like that. Um, that's okay. It's true. This guy, I mean, I'm not making fun of blind people, but he'd never seen Jesus. Like he'd never even been in the same room with him or on the same street. But for some reason he believed. He believed. So we don't need to see Jesus to believe in Jesus. It's very true. I'm making it sound really cheesy and not true, but it is completely true. Or maybe um, when Jesus calls, don't walk, we run. Maybe one of those. It's, it's completely true. Again, completely true. Or, or we could even have shirts made that Jesus puts a spring in my step. Something like that. Like, that'd be realistic, right? I mean, it's still application. Like the man, like, what did he do? He, like, he jumped up and he shot and he ran to Jesus. Like, you know, he just, he went. Jesus puts a spring in my step. But I think if we, again, we, we want to look a little beyond, like, the VBS ideas, and those are great ideas. Like, those are all completely true, and I can validate those with Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. But if we get a little deeper, I think here's a couple things to notice and then something that we need to really, really think about. The fact that he stopped for this guy and he called him means that Jesus will call the very least in a crowd. Jesus will stop for the very least in a crowd. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, here's why it's important. Because that's me. That's you. You're like, well, I'm not the least in this room. I got a lot of stuff. No, no, no. Let's, let's think in reference to God. Okay, in reference to this Jesus, again, that we think it's crazy that he would actually extend us an invitation like, what do you want me to do for you? It's pretty crazy that he would extend it to someone by contrast to the deity and the beauty and the holy, holy, holiness of God, that he would actually reach out to me, reach out to you, that he would stop for the least. Yes, he was a blind beggar who had nothing, but me, in reference to God, even by one sin, I have no access to him. I have no reasonable, uh, reasonable uh, way of thinking to, to assume that, that he would want me, that he would desire me, that he would call to me, come to me, make a way for me to know him. There's no reason. And if I'm thinking about the goodness of God and the depravity of myself because of my sin, even one, and I have way more than one, there's no reason Jesus would ever stop for me in any rational-minded uh, story. Jesus is different. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week, like the kingdom of God is different. Why is the kingdom of God different? Because the king of this kingdom is very different, and that king is Jesus. And Jesus stops for the very least in the crowd. That should give you great hope, should give me great hope, should remind us that, wow, we don't have to earn it because we can't. 
And thank you, God, that you don't make us try. That he stopped for the least. Because in this crowd, there were, there were probably some people with amazing pedigrees. I mean, that could trace back their circumcision like Paul does. They could, they could probably do that. They could trace back their lineage, probably pretty close to David, maybe even further back. They could do that. But this guy, we know nothing. We know nothing about him except that he doesn't have anything. He has no one. He has no voice generally. But in this case, with Jesus, he does. And that's crazy to me that he has a voice with Jesus. So there, like Jesus came for the least in the crowd. Man, that was him today. That's that's us. But I think the application for us rests rests in the last part of verse 52. Like those others are great. Like they're bumper sticker worthy. They're completely true. Man, they would be good. But this, this is the thing. Verse 52, I want to read it again. And it said, And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Like three very possessive ideas right there. Your way, your faith, your wellness. Kind of an idea. And one of Mark's favorite transliterated English words, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Here's the thing. A blind man teaches us that we are healed so that we may follow. Hear me. This is crucial. We are healed so that we may follow. We don't need sight to see Jesus, but we do need sight to follow Jesus, and that's exactly what he grants us. We are healed to follow. I love the fact that he tells him explicitly, go your way, your faith has made you well, and it says immediately he could see, and Jesus' way and his way, they became one. It says that he followed him on the way. You know that theory I talked about, about why I think we actually have a name for this guy? I think the readers of Mark probably knew who he was. I think the readers of Mark would have recognized son of Timaeus, because I think he continued to follow. And he may not have been like one of, the, one of the heroes of the early church, but he was a recognizable follower of Jesus, so that he understood that, yes, Jesus had granted him sight on behalf of him believing that Jesus and only Jesus could do it, but after that, in response to that, He said, Jesus, where you go, I'll go. What you do, I want to do. Where you lead, I'll follow. He understood that he was healed so that he could follow. I think we think on the terms of payout being much different when it comes to the gospel. I think when we start to think about the gospel, which we frame as the good news, and Scripture did too, so we're not making something up, like the good news, like I am broken, I've got an issue. In this case, if we're looking at Bartimaeus, he's blind. He can't see. We're blind too. Like in our natural born state, completely blind, without the ability to see. You're like, no, I could see. No, 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 not see, but like really see, spiritually see. Like to be able to see God, to know God, to fellowship with God. In our born state, because of sin, we can't do that. Like we are spiritually and utterly, completely, totally blind. Just as blind as Bartimaeus was physically, we're that blind spiritually. We cannot possibly know God. And so the gospel declares we're broken. Uh, We're blind, we can't see God, but Jesus, 
who stops for the very least in the crowd, asks us on behalf of God's beautiful grace that he issues and displays through Jesus, mercy that he exhibits through not giving us what we deserve when we cry out to God, like this gospel says, yes, I can't fix myself. I'm completely, utterly blind. I am estranged to God. I am a stranger and alien in reference to him. But Jesus, stopping for the least of these, and that's me in reference to God, says, what do you want me to do for you? I just, I just want to see. I want to be able to see you specifically. We think the payout of our salvation is uh, that we are now known by God, which is a great payout. That's really good. Uh, we think our payout to God is ultimate relocation one day, that we, we will not spend eternity separated from God, but we'll get to walk on streets of gold. Are they really made of gold? I don't know, but they're going to be shiny, and it's going to be good. And so that's a payout. That's good. But I think we miss the fact that the payout, the ultimate payout, is actually that we get to tuck in behind Jesus, walk where he walked, love as he loved, live as he lived, encounter what he encountered to follow Jesus. He redeemed us, not so that we could sit, not so that we could wait for relocation, but so that beauty of eternal life, once realized through the gospel, can be experienced now in the following of Jesus and calling others to do the same. This blind man in the crowd who by all means should have known nothing, knew it better than anybody else, that he was not healed so that he could sit and continue to beg, but so that he could get up and leave his former self behind and now follow Jesus. You know, one of the beautiful things in this passage that we don't think about in BBS terms, it says, and tossing off his cloak, he, he ran away from it. The mat and the cup were probably still there. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that he went back for it. Because he understood this new thing that was given to him was a new identity, a new path, a new life, a new individual savior to follow, to tuck in behind and go after. And the old stuff didn't matter anymore. It wasn't who he was anymore. We also think that this gospel just offers us a better version of ourselves when Paul, writing to the Corinthians, would disagree. He'd be like, if, if any of you are in Christ, behold, look, open your eyes. You're a new creation, the old. It's back there in the rear view. Leave it there. Don't go back. New versus old is very stark. Blind versus seeing, very stark. Saved versus lost, very stark. Jesus isn't offering a better version of Matthew. He offered me a new version. A new version, a new like spiritual creation. And that going from the least to going to found, that's pretty crazy. I don't think we think in the terms that the found now follow. Our, our culture has made it very, very easy to come to Christ. Like I get it. Like, I'm not bashing the American church. Don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is that our culture has made it very convenient, very, palpable, very palatable, very, very easy and simple to come to Christ. But you've got to understand the weight of glory that is placed on us through salvation is not light. It's not, it's not a small thing. He's saying, I'm giving you something completely and utterly brand new. And that's huge. And if we're new, we don't go back to what was old. We don't go back to being blind beggars on the street asking for mercy. We live as people that have already been granted mercy by grace through faith 
And now we follow the person who gave it to us. And so it kind of does beg the question, like, what are we, what are we doing with our faith? What are we doing with it? Have we gone back and just camped out where we were? Waiting for an epiphany? Waiting for some magical skywriting thing to occur to tell us to go and do something? Or, or do we understand that we were healed? We were granted sight by grace through faith so that we could now follow. And we don't need to wait for some mythical, magical, skywriting appearance. Jesus has already said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He's already told us to do that. What are we doing with our faith? What am I doing with my faith? I think the tendency, the human tendency, is to say the prayer, do the dance, get the dunk, and then just sit like a good church boy or a good church girl. Jesus never, ever called us to that. He never, ever called us to that. He called us to come, follow, lay down our life, choose his instead, and just keep going. Just keep going. So what are we doing with our faith? Just a blind beggar. He's got a lot of lessons to teach. He shows us it's not about just, just being able to see. It's about what we do with it. What do we do with it? Today we get to respond in a, a neat way. It's the last Sunday of the month and we, uh, we, we take communion together. Um, and communion is not uh, some magical, crazy exchange. It's an act of obedience for us, also understanding that, that Jesus intends for it to do a couple things for us. He intends for it to remind us of the fact that he came his body was broken, his blood was spilled on our behalf, and we can actually celebrate a tragedy in that, which, again, just like several things in this story is a little bit mind-boggling. But he asks us, he's like, when you do this, remember me. Remember his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his words, all of those things. When you do this and when you do it together, remember me. So remember the price that was paid. Uh, but he also lets us know later as the, the New Testament church kind of fleshes it out that when we do this, we think about the fact that he came once but he's coming again. And all of these things that weigh us down and hold us back and sin that entraps us and circles our camp and tries to kill us on a daily basis, he's going to wipe all those away entirely. But he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he will return. And then we'll be united for the rest of eternity, and it's going to be good. So we think about those two things. Um, but the qualifiers, you know, within our church, we have an open table for communion uh, but scripturally, we want to make sure of a couple things. Number one, are we um, a confessed follower of Jesus? Like have we abandoned our sin, chosen Jesus instead? Not just the good ideas of Jesus, not just the low-hanging fruit of application. And those applications are good, but like the real, the life of Jesus. Have we laid claim to that, believing in that to make us right with God? So we need to have done that at some point. And that means it just sounds very simple of, uh, God, I know that I've sinned, um, and I know those sins were against you. I don't want those anymore. I know that your life, your death, your resurrection have made a way for me to know God. And I want to trust in that and give myself to you. 
It's not about asking him to our heart. That's okay if you use that language, but it is literally submitting our life to his and choosing his over ours and believing that that's enough. Not my actions, not my good works, not my list of donations, but just Jesus. And if we can say that and truly believe that, then yes, we're united with God. But also, too, if we are united with God and that's our place, uh, is there sin that's just living in our life right now? If there's unconfessed sin, stuff that we're just letting sit there and we know it's against God's plan, against God's desire, we need to deal with that before we take the bread and we take the juice. And so in those two things, if you can do that, then, then feel free at any point when we're singing our next song just to walk up and grab that. Uh, you can do it with your family. If you have kids in the back that have uh, confessed Jesus as Lord, you can uh, go grab them and bring them out. Um, but we'll just continue to worship until that's done, and we'll close with some announcements. But let me pray, and we'll worship. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for um, a guy in a crowd who should have no sway over us, but you take those sometimes with no voice, and you give them an amazing voice for your glory and for your good. Um, God, today I pray that we see the, the point of you granting us sight is to follow you is not just so that we can exclaim that, oh, now we can see, but God, but we can see you so that we can follow you. Thank you, God, that you actually redeem us, you fix us, you heal us so that we can, so that we can follow after you. God, today as we take communion, I pray that we're reminded uh, in, a, in a very um, right now kind of a sense of what you've done and what you're going to continue to do and what you're going to bring to completion. Uh, and God, and through that, we can worship. Thank you that we have a family of believers in this city, God, that you've called together for your glory, for your purpose, for your mission. Um, God, thank you for including us. Thank you for loving us. Um, as we worship, I pray that we can tell you what you mean to us. Uh, and Maybe even we realize it for the very first time. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.